Listeners, we would like to thank our supporters on Patreon. That is Matt, Nick, Justin, Teddy, Paul, Grace, Alex, and Annalise. Thank you for your financial contributions. We are using them to make the world a better place, and that is exciting. If you have $5 or more a month and you would like to help us do fun stuff like... I got nothing. I have nothing this week. (laughs) Fun stuff like uh, you... uh create robots of ourselves but that you can't understand the difference of so we never even have to show up oh that's perfect if you would like to fund our robotic overlords you can support us over on patreon at patreon.com slash wthiap you also get access to the patreon only podcast that ian and i record called pillow talk where this week we talked about walking out of sermons and uh the very salacious story of my first kiss it's a delight so if you want that head on over to patreon because there's nothing as fun as putting uh important stories to you behind a paywall if you are not in a position to support us financially there are still ways you can help us out you can subscribe to us on the podcasting app of your choice rate and review us on apple Podcasts, share us on the platform of your choice or follow us on twitter or facebook or just keep listening because that is good too how was your first kiss was it a good kiss or a bad kiss (laughs) um now that i have points of reference to compare it to i have pretty decent it was not it was not terrible yeah It's a, it is a long, complicated story uh, that you'll have to subscribe to the to Patreon <laughs> to find out. But uh, it's a fun one. It involves, um, it happened in Scotland. It involves an extinct volcano in the ruins of a chapel. And that's all I'll say. Was it, you don't have to let this go live. Was it a boy or a girl? It was a boy. Fair yeah. enough, fair enough. Yeah. Boys, I think... boys can be good kissers. That's allowed. <laughs> boys can kiss too. Anyway. <laughs> I'm tired of this male erasure, frankly. And it needs to, and it needs to end. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, here's the show. <laughs> One, two, five, nine. Robin Breeze, servant leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder. What the hell? Welcome to What the Hell is a Pastor, a podcast about life and set-apart ministry. Each week, we draw on our experiences and challenges as current and former pastors to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can. So, Ethan, how was your week this week? Um, you know, it was okay. I, I uh, just, I, I've had kind of a, a long couple of days, but the whole week itself wasn't too bad. I blew a tire out and you know, jacked it up and myself and put the spare on myself. And then I drove to, you know, uh, the next day I drove to get a new tire and I waited three and a half hours at the ass crack of dawn for a new tire. Mm-hmm. That was fun. That was fun. I, I should have become a mechanic because o- only they are allowed to do nothing except for meteorologists. <laughs> Mechanics and meteorologists are allowed to do nothing and be wrong. And we're totally at their whims. There's nothing we can do to stop it. Like I showed up, I showed up the moment this place opened up. I was the only vehicle there. Like who is currently asking for work. And they were like, we can get it. We can get to it in two hours. And I looked at them. I'm looking around. I'm like to put a new tire on. And they're like, yeah, two hours, two hours. We'll get to it. And we just silently stared at each other. One guy is like, eating cereal you know in a bowl <laughs> you know and i'm like 
<laughs> you got me by the balls. There's nothing I can do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll walk around. And I walked around uh, parts of Charlottesville for three hours until they called me. Wow. So that's what I do. Uh, today I went to the church. I try to go to the church Thursdays and Fridays now. Um, there's uh, 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 so there's some interesting. It's not really drama. There, there's a, a a need that I'm trying to address with a congregant, um, where there's a chance that he's going to be um, thrown out of his house by the oh, no. by the beginning of January. And this congregant, one of the things I legitimately love about churches is that um, every church, no matter what, without fail, uh, has at least one person who who their personality makes it almost impossible for them to connect anywhere but a church. Um, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I legitimately love that about churches. That, that's, a, that's a good thing about all churches. Even though, um, like, the, the, I used to go to a youth group in, in high school where the joke was, yeah, you're allowed to go to this youth group. Are you hot? Is your sister hot? <laughs> then, yes, I remember you can you go. saying this. <laughs> yeah. Like, 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 even though lots of churches are like that, uh, even churches like that, they you, you will still find people, you know, adults, you know, young people, whatever, who, if it were not for church, there would be no public place with a big with a group of people that that they could find place in, you know, find space to be to be in. And uh, at this church, uh, there's a fellow. Um, who's in his 80s. He's from Long Island. He is the uh, adopted stepson of, of a wealthy um, Cuban immigrant. Hmm. Uh, at least that's what he says. He's really just a white guy from Long Island. Um, oh. <laughs> but, but that's what he tells me. And uh, he's, you know, he's got that great thick Long Island accent. He's sort of as like, he kind of talks and walks like Nathan Lane also at the same time. <laughs> He's very eccentric. He's totally out there. And, um, you know, he's in his eighties. He he's, and his, he might be losing his house. And, and like, there's so much going on with this guy that I still don't know enough about, but I'm, I don't want him to lose his house. But like whenever I meet with him, he's got these like he comes up with these incredible ideas, like these great schemes with which to save his house. He's like, Pasta, I got it. Here's what we do. You, you know, and this is how he talks. He's like, here's what we do. You go to the Episcopal Church. OK, there's an Episcopal Church in town. I know I've been there. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. You know, I've seen the Episcopal Church. He goes, they're very wealthy over there. Go to the priest. <laughs> Ask the priest if they'd be willing to buy my house and allow me to stay there rent free until the day I die. And I'm like, I just don't think that's going to work. And he's like, what's there to lose? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you, you can't should, argue with that. Maybe you should come up with another plan, though, for when this doesn't work, you know, <laughs> like it's. And so I'm trying. I, I think I might have an idea that that might end up working. But like I'm talking to him about, you know, low income housing. He's like, I will not live in low income housing. 
and and I'm like, but why? And he's like, it's for trash, and I am not trash. And I'm like, what is the matter with you, <laughs> you oh, <God>. weird man, <laughs> you, you weirdo, <laughs> you absolute weirdo? So anyway, uh, today I get to the church and I see a car I don't recognize. Now this is a part of this. Whenever I see a car I don't recognize when I arrive at the church, um. I, I file things away in my brain because if you recall, Joe and listeners, there are like a million keys out for this church. Right. And um, I'm trying and, and some of the powers that be of this church sort of do not believe me. I'm not entirely sure why. And so I'm trying to keep track of every new set of keys I come up with. And it's just like old blue car. I walk into the church and uh, there he is. There's this gentleman is that I, you know from Long Island, eating uh, food from the uh, church with some of his buddies. He's he's grabs. He's got like three friends with him. And I'm like, hello, what's up, Gordon? Gordon's like, oh, everybody, this is the pastor. This is him right here. Um, you know, I've been talking. I've been mentoring this young man. And I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> like he's saying that about me. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, Gordon, you're my mentor. And he goes, oh, I know. I've been telling you to start wearing your, your your clergy shirt and collar every Sunday because that's what you really need to do. And you started doing it, and it's because of me. And I'm like, yeah, whatever you say, Gordon. Whatever you say. Have Which you I started have, wearing your shirt and collar? I have because it's like it's the school uniform effect. Now I don't have to think about what the hell I'm going to wear. You know, uh, I okay. just put it on. And I can also wear jeans or shorts so nobody can get mad at me. Because I've got a clergy That's true, because you got a collar. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a strategy. I was already going to do it. Like, I had already decided to do it. And Gordon came to my office, like, last week and was like, you should wear your clergy shirt and collar every day because that's the only way people will know that you are above them. And I'm like, Gordon, <laughs> you need to relax, brother. Like, And I got mad. I was like, damn it, Gordon, I was already going to do that. And now, and now, you, now you think that you, like, influenced me <laughs> like, mm-hmm, ah. mm-hmm. but anyway i was like gordon how'd you get in do you have a key and gordon's like oh i've always had a key and i'm like of course you have <laughs> right of course you have and so i call uh one of the leaders of the church after gordon and his friends leave and i'm like did you know gordon has a key and and she's like yeah i know gordon has a key and i'm like so like this is a woman who's on my side about the key issue. And I'm like, mm-hmm. does anybody else know? Yeah, we're not happy about it. But, you know, one time Gordon got, the first time Gordon got keys to the church, he came in and he stole all the silver. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> like all the old communion silver. Yeah. And And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, he still has it. He still has it? Yeah, every communion Sunday, we, I, somebody has to call Gordon and ask him to bring the silver. What? And I just sat there, and, and I'm like, I want you to... And I told this woman, her name is Shelley, who called me. I told Shelley, I need you to say what you just said to me again. And I need you to hear that this is what I mean when I say this church is non-confrontational. Yeah. Somebody stole the silver. <laughs> and we just ask him to bring it back every communion Sunday. <laughs> and she started laughing. She's like, I know, it's completely weird. And I'm like, yeah, it's completely weird. It doesn't make any sense. But 
here we are. And so that's what I did today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the oh, and then there is one more thing that happened to me today, and then and then I'd love to hear about your week. Um, I uh, as I was talking to Shelley on the phone after he left, an older gentleman came into the church who I'd never seen before. As the door was unlocked, like he tried the door, and I was in there, and so I had the door unlocked. And and I hung up with Shelley, and I was like, "Hi, what what can I do for you, sir?" And he's like, "Are you the new pastor?" I'm like, "Yes, I am." And he's like, uh, uh, "My name's Charles. I'm the former pastor here before." Couldn't have called ahead. <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Good to meet you. You know." And we came into the office and. He sat in the pastor's chair, and I sat in the visitor's chair. Um, and uh, which is interesting. I mean, I guess it was his office. That's mine. At now, one point, I, I yeah, it it's yours now. And and we talked for an hour, and he really just needed somebody to talk to. He was he was in mm-hmm. town, and uh, wanted to share stories of the glory days. And I've heard some mixed stories about him. And I understand why he's he's sort of um, uh, 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 an interesting mixture of things. He's a former music mate, like he, he's got a degree in music and has sung in ensembles and has done different things. But he's also sort of a of a, of like a hard ass old man, you know, and, and mm. um, is is a. Uh, progressive in a particular way that i think is is healthy you know like like for at least for an older pastor like understands things like uh, like remember the story i told about the woman who changed her name and became a scientologist yes so he like he never misnames her we talked about her for a little bit like he calls her willow because that's the name she chose and hmm. you know like like it's stuff like that like he's pastoral in some of those ways like he's He's not like, uh, he's not like, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know how to put it. Like big, bigoted is sort of the wrong word, but, but you know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's comfortable about, he's comfortable with that. He's comfortable with thinking things through in that way. But some of the other thing I hear, uh, I've heard is that he's, you know, he, he likes women. He likes girls, not like, not like young, young girls, but he likes women that are younger than him. Mm-hmm. And uh, just some of the comments, there's a few moments in our conversation where I'm like, I don't know why you had to say that, you know, just like you talked about getting into a car accident while he was the pastor here, because because his one his one of his his right arm is, uh, you know, just looks different than his other arm. And he he made a comment about it. He's like, yeah, I got into a car accident uh, while I was pastor here. I was like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. He goes, yeah, unfortunately, the sweet thing that was my my physical therapist couldn't fix the arm and i'm like why did you call her a sweet thing like like why'd you do that yeah you know so that was about an hour and then he left (laughs) (laughs) was he just like in town does he live nearby like what what was the occasion his i later find out i i didn't know this because he you know I, i asked him what i could do for him like he came in and introduced himself we talked for a few minutes and then i was like I was like, Charles, you know, I'm not, I'm glad to meet you. You know, the door is open. Anybody can come in and talk to me, but like, is there something I can do for you? You know, like what, what brought you here? 
and he and he talks about his wife and we spend a little time talking about his wife his wife is his wife's health is failing and so my my thought at the end of it was maybe he was just hoping to talk to me like he was just hoping to talk to a pastor mm-hmm. which is which is interesting like like I, I and and we did like we had a what i other than the fact that he's the former pastor here we had what i would consider to be a relatively typical little pastoral care session you know what i mean mm-hmm. like where somebody comes in it's like pastor i just need to talk to somebody i'm having my wife's not well and i really need to get stuff off my chest like i would consider that to be a pretty that's happened to me before mm-hmm. um and later and and that is true but later what i find out uh is not from him but from somebody else who i deep was asked for some help with you know help to explain some of this stuff uh, is that his wife still has is really good friends with folks in town. And so every Friday he drives her into town to play cards. Oh, okay. And so he might come and visit me every Friday now. <laughs> that might just be what happens. That just, that just might be our thing. And I was like, okay, well, very, very good, I guess. <laughs> We talked about Subaru Bajas. That was the other thing we talked about. He goes, you ever see those Subaru Bajas? I'm like, you mean those truck car hybrids from 2004? Yeah, <laughs> sometimes. And he's like, yeah, I just bought one. I'm like, cool, brother. <laughs> that's that's good. <laughs> hmm. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah. How was your week? Um fine this is my first week uh not doing the nanny job yeah how is that feeling i uh, i have cleaned things around the house um oh. and like read books for fun and uh you know just like occupied by time i ended up putting in more hours for my other job uh because i was making up from some hours that i had missed last week um, and we had gone to a wedding up in New York for a friend of Ian's over the weekend. And so I, part of it was just kind of like recovering <laughs> emotionally from not emotionally. That sounds terrible. Just like it was socialization with a lot of people. And so I needed introvert time afterwards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it it's weird um, in the way that I like my first couple of weeks after quitting being a pastor was weird. I mean, it's not right then. Cause we went to go see Ian's family right after that. But like I had maybe like a week and a half where like I was unemployed and was looking for things to do. Um, and it's weird in that, that kind of way of like, is this what free time is? Even though I've had time that wasn't like dedicated to one job or the other, uh, the past couple of months, but it's, um, it really takes it like I I continue to be surprised by how much the commute and the nanny job like took it out of me <laughs> like I was tired all the time because mm. I would leave at six in the morning get back at seven o'clock at night do that three days a week and like crash on Friday try to figure out things to do on Saturday and Sunday and then dread going back to work on Monday <laughs> and then right. Tuesday would come around um so yeah it's it's been nice um the like the big thing that really got me and something that I talked about with a bunch of my friends uh, is that I at one point in time I don't think this made this in the podcast but at one point in time um, 
there there was a week where one family was going to be on vacation and the other one wasn't and they wanted me to come in and just look after one kid and that had happened before a couple of times where like one kid was sick and so i was just watching the other kid and like that's a last minute thing can't really change anything with that so that's fine we'll just i'll i'll do whatever but because they were splitting the cost, because it was a nanny share, um, the one family that I was going to be watching for that week, uh, was gonna, it was going to be, if they had just paid me the regular amount, it was going to be like $11 an hour. Mm-hmm. And $11 an hour for that commute for three days in a week is um, a, a difficult calculus. Like it basically yeah. covered the cost of gas. And well, I guess a little bit more than the cost of gas, but like not what I really needed for the job that week. And so I was, what I should have talked about was the fact that I have a one child minimum of like this amount of money and uh, I need to be making that for this to, uh, for this to financially work out for me. Um, And, but what I said instead was, well, it's not really worth my time. And that's the wrong thing to say to the parent of a child when you're talking about caring for their child, which like I absolutely knew, but it's just the words that came out of my face because I was anxious about asking for money. And like, this was not my finest hour. This is not, not me at my best. Um, But the mom had been reasonably kind of upset about that, but had tried to be polite about it. Um, And so I had just spent then the next couple of months nervously monitoring every single interaction (laughs) to Mm -hmm. be like, do they like me? Do they not like me? Am I good enough? Am I ever going to be good enough again? How will I ever financially recover from this? You know, like, (laughs) yeah, just panic. And so I assumed that like I had done irrevocable, irrevocable damage, irrevocable, irrevocable. Is this going to be the title of the episode? (laughs) Damage that cannot be undone uh, to our, uh, our friendship working relationship. Uh, which was going to be even worse because I had gotten this job through a friend of a friend. Uh, and so I was like, this is going to make everything awkward. I can never see any of these people again. I need to go sail off into the sunset. Everything's terrible. And so when they said that they had gotten the kids into daycare and preschool, I was like, oh, this is just their way of like letting me down gently. They're firing me and finding another nanny and everything's terrible. And like, I knew that wasn't the case, but in my brain, like, you know how brains do. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, this is, this is basically it. I've been uh, asked to leave before Christmas from yet another job. and I just couldn't handle it and then on my last day like the mom has put this like banner up on the stairs that says thank you Miss Joe which was very sweet which we used to practice our letters for the two and a half year old Um, and then at the end of the day they gave me flowers and a little photo album and um, a bag with all the stuff to do like a date night for me and Ian which is basically like all the fixings for like uh, a pasta dish and a bottle of wine and some lovely chocolate thing. And then a ton of gift cards, like a Starbucks gift card, an Amazon gift card, a Visa gift card, which those things are always a scam because it charges you $6 to use it each time you use it. So you got to only use it once. But we're going to, I think we're going to use it for our anniversary dinner. So I'm excited. That's cool. Um, Yeah. So it was just like, it was, it was delightful. They said, thank you so many times. Like all of the parents were very thankful and very kind. Um, one kid gave me a high five and the other one gave me a hug and it was just very sweet uh, and they're going to invite me back for the when the one year old when he turns one his birthday next month so like it's just it, like it is completely the opposite of what I had expected <laughs> mm-hmm. and so I posted about it on Facebook because I just like when I have 
have this much like overwhelm I, it comes it shows out through my instagram and my facebook feed um and a friend of mine who i had i had uh, spent the weekend with her before uh, two a couple weeks ago and she had just left a job and i uh, we were talking about like how like different ways of leaving can impact kind of how you feel about a job or, or um, yeah, really how you feel about a job. Sure. Uh, and I had said that like, I was nervous about leaving. Like I assumed that I was getting kicked out again and like, I didn't love that feeling and I didn't love being worried about it and all this kind of stuff. And she's like, no, that makes total sense. So then I had messaged her afterwards to be like, they did this for me. I was completely wrong. I just want to set the record straight. Um, they, we talked about, uh, we talked again about leaving and how um, she said, you know, like what makes this gift important to you is that it shows that you're valued and it like shows that they care for you and they care about the work that you did while you were with them. Uh, and that just like hit it on the nose for me. Cause I remember leaving, um, when I left the church that I had served the longest in North Carolina, uh, one of the ladies at the church was like, uh, cause they didn't, they didn't collect like a Christmas gift for me or anything. They didn't throw Cause it was COVID. They didn't throw a going away party or anything. Like right. there really was like, I moved out and that was basically it. I got a card a couple weeks later, um, from one of the other ladies at the church that it's hard to know if like, she just sent me like a thank you gift or if they had collected money, but uh, one of the ladies at the church is like, I hope you know that if it wasn't COVID, would have like thrown you a dinner and it would have been like, we would have done all of these things for you. Uh, and, and like, I fully believe that she would have wanted to do that, mm-hmm. but it has really kind of stuck out to me in the nine months since I've left that, um, like the, the most I got for my year and a half of service there through a really tricky time was, um, one card from one congregant and uh visa card for five dollars and six cents is a refund from our verizon account <laughs> like yeah it, it just it and, and it's hard to know like i don't know what i as a congregant would have wanted to do in the circumstances of of a pastor who was leaving under the same circumstances that i was but um it just it like here's here is like one family that, or I guess two families between the two of them that did 10 times more than anything I got from either of my churches uh, after I left for a longer time of service there. And it just, it makes a difference. Uh, Mm -hmm. We were talking with our, our friend Emily a couple of podcasts ago and her first church, she left her first church around the same time that I left my appointments. Um, and it, cause it was winter because the, the previous rector had left, like when she switched to a new job, they also didn't, didn't even get her a card, like didn't even do anything. And when I was talking to Emily about it, what really came up is that like our, um, churches a lot of the time are these places where we expect like kind of your polite norms to be upheld. Mm -hmm. Like when someone has a baby, you expect everybody to like pass around a card. Like most of it's just passing around a card and signing a card or like giving something on behalf of the church. And like, there's just a, uh, informal or formal committee of like ladies who know how these things are done and do it most of the time. Like people who like know when uh, an administrator or secretary appreciation week is and like make sure that like flowers are given to the church secretary or whatever, you know. And so when churches don't do that, 
like I I wouldn't expect it necessarily for like I I didn't really expect anything from my churches. It's just that like I know they can and I know in other circumstances they have. And so it's an omission that feels uh, feels more pointed than it would have otherwise. Like when I stopped getting scheduled for Coldstone, when I worked for Coldstone in college, like I was not mortally offended that they didn't throw me a going away party <laughs> because right, right. like it's Coldstone. That's not what I expect from this. But for for what this job is and for like the normal send offs you get, it just it does kind of like rankle you that oh. uh, there wasn't anything. So I've been thinking about that a lot this past couple weeks, this past week. Um, about like leaving and leaving well and kind of like the ways that we treat one another when we go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, first of all, I think it's fantastic that, that these families celebrated you in this way, like yeah. that you deserve to be celebrated in that way. And, and the reason why you do is because yeah, you had, it was a job, but you were caring emotionally for this family, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? That's a, that's a very different thing. You know, it's different than other things. Like, like I think that if I was, um, say, a, um, a house cleaner, I would primarily care the way that I would understand being, uh, having my work be appreciated would be here is a living wage. Right. You know? You are cleaning our house. We want to make sure that you're you have you are being paid very well, and it's worth doing domestic duties for a place that you don't live. Right. And then I'd feel really great about it. I also wouldn't want to be abused. That would be another great thing. But that's a norm, <laughs> right. you know. That's that's a that's a given. Like, but but that's not an emotional caring, you know. Like, like if you develop emotional connection or emotional bond or, or whatever, sure, that, that can happen. But like, that's, that's not, uh, your profession, you know, as a nanny is in, um, is in, is in the emotional sphere. You are caring for children, um, not just anybody's children, but a particular family's children. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, and by doing that, you alleviate, uh, a, emotional, uh, labor and, and other forms of labor for the rest of the family. That's, that's something that, um, uh, I would say is, uh, something that deserves, uh, uh, in addition to a monetary appreciation, an emotional celebration too, like. That's a good thing. And I think pastoring falls into that too. I would be offended. I would have been offended if I walked away from Gerwinsville having, having nothing to show for it. Mm -hmm. You know, I really would have, you know, and I, I I would have been very hurt mostly because my job wasn't just to, you know, do a job. My, my job was, was to care emotionally for people. And, and if nobody had an emotional reaction to my leaving, then uh, I'd be like, oh, well, that must not have worked. <laughs> it must not have, must not have been uh, anything to worry about, you know? Yeah, that's the, I, I, and we come back to this a lot, I think, as we talk about the job of being a pastor. But there's, um, 
the emotional aspect of it makes it different from a lot of other jobs. Like that's, I also think about that with the candidacy process is that like the, um, the emotional intelligence that you should have to be a pastor in addition to like the, um, the spiritual life that you're expected to have, I guess is the best way to phrase it. Mm -hmm. Like uh, all of those things are things you would not necessarily expect to come out in like basically a job interview, which is what the candidacy process, a very long and arduous job interview is. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there's, there is this kind of intangible, intangible emotional element to it uh, and to the job. And like, that makes it, that makes it really challenging. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and like some jobs are like that, you know, we've, we've talked about that too. Like some jobs, um, we can't, we can't have the same criteria for every single job. And so when I advocate approaching pastoring like a job, I'm not, and then liken it to say like a plumber, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that the same group of skills or the same, like whether obviously not the same, like labor oriented group of skills are required but like because being a a plumber is a form of skilled labor (laughs) that's different than being a pastor but like the same i'm I'm, what i'm not saying is that the same sort of group of personal skills or emotional skills are are required and we need to judge both professions by by one set of formula that's not what i'm saying um but what i what i'm saying is is that the same kind of job ethics, I think, apply, right? Like right. fair compensation, boundaries, hours, stuff like that. But like the skills needed to be a pastor, um, being a pastor does involve vulnerability. It does involve, um, you know, uh, like you said, emotional intelligence. Um, and if you're not willing to do those things, it doesn't make you a bad person. But it might make you a bad pastor, mm-hmm. you know, like, like if you're like, I've met people like that. Like I've met folks in seminary who, you know, and who have gone on to be pastors for at least a little while, who, who really have made it clear that, that they have incredibly strong and rigid emotional boundaries and we're supposed to have good emotional boundaries. Don't get me wrong, but you can't have rigid emotional boundaries and do this job. You, you can't be constantly defending yourself from assault, right. you know, in that way. Right. Like if that's where you are, I totally understand, you know, and this is more of a general thing to anybody. If that's where a person is, if a person due to their personality or, or past trauma or whatever, is a a sort of a closed book in that way that's totally fine but that's not going to serve them in the job of pastor does that make sense yeah i i think so that's the um that was something that was really difficult in seminary like there's one particular pastoral care and counseling class uh session where uh we talked about wounded healers because that was a big thing that we talked about the henry nowen thing Mm -hmm. um a bit somebody in the class was very much like you need to take care of yourself and uh, make sure that you are as healed as you can be before you start trying to pastor because otherwise you're just going to bleed all over other people. And I remember that being a really rough class just because 
a, a like the 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 shades of um emotional wellness weren't really clear it was kind of this all or nothing it felt like in the statement this kind of all or nothing like you have to be completely over your trauma in order to be a pastor and until that you until you have fixed that about yourself you cannot do this job in any way shape or form um and like that's that's not true but i also do think that there is um there's an amount of caring for yourself and um yeah i'm not really sure like quite the right way to say it but like there is a level of emotional health maybe that you that enables you to do this job and do it well and um you really need to be able to maintain that level of emotional health as best as you can Mm -hmm. or if not be able to like have some good healthy boundaries and be able to work around it until you've regained that amount of emotional health um I feel like I'm in a video game, <laughs> video game about emotions, and you need to have the right health level. Yeah, right. Well, are you a, are you a fifth level wizard yet? You can't be a bastard unless you've achieved fifth level occlumency. Everybody knows right. that. <laughs> Everybody knows that. And if you don't know it, then well, you're definitely not a bastard. That's for sure. <laughs> but it's that's the that's a difficult thing about the job is that I, like you do in order to do it well and in order to minimize the potential harm that you could do in the position that you're in, there's a certain level of emotional stability and intelligence and ability to handle your own trauma that, um, that's, that is really important to doing the job well. Um, and like, I think it's probably a bunch of different factors that come together mm-hmm. to make it, to make you, uh, able to do it. And, those factors can kind of change and shift and you can compensate compensate because you're using a lot of different emotional muscles in one go. But like there is just a level of, of health that you need to have to do it and do it well. Not to say, cause we're going to have on uh, next week, David Finnegan Hosey, fellow mm-hmm. Wesley grad um, to talk. Uh, I don't know that he'll want to talk about mental health. We have an establishment where we talk about, but he writes about mental health in the church and Right. and things like that and so it's not to say that you need to have a perfect clean bill of mental health you need to be completely neurotypical to do this job because we both know that's not true of course but to say that you need to be in a place where you are able to to give and not always receive from your congregants there's always give and take from your congregants but you need to be in a place of where you're not going to be emotionally dependent upon your congregants and that, right. like, that's just kind of the same across the board. And uh, yeah, um, right. I, I don't know if I tracked how we got here in the con- conversation, <laughs> but oh man, I don't know. Uh, but like, and that, yeah. that is true. Like, it's it's emotional work, and it's work that requires you to be in in a relatively emotionally healthy place, or to be able to lean on others as you as you heal or as you get better. Right. I, I think I think that would have been the only thing I would have. Um, qualified there like i think the answer is really you just have to be able to monitor where needs are being satisfied Mm -hmm. um you know that's that's an important component to like say um uh, uh sexual relationships you know in the midst of like for pastors and in the midst of the church and stuff right like one of the reasons why pastors um develop sexual relationships with folks connected to their church has to do with needs like it has to do Mm -hmm. not and i don't just mean like sexual needs i mean like 
emotion needs of emotional connection and stability and, and all of that. And, and it comes in some cases, sometimes from places where, where pastors misplace where their needs are being satisfied. You know, that doesn't mean that, that only married people can be pastors. That's not what I'm saying. What, what it means is like the, the human, the deeply human need for physical and emotional connection <laughs> mm-hmm. has to be met <laughs> by somebody that you don't have pastoral power over. Yeah. You know, that's, that's all what that means. And so uh, that Sandra talked like that in my ethics class with her, um, where somebody was like, well, I'm single and I'm going to be a pastor. What if I want to date somebody in my congregation? And she's like, don't. And she's yeah. like, and she's like, but this, it was a girl. It was a, a woman in the class. And she's like, well, but like, but why we're all adults here. And Sandra's like, find, find a male escort or a female escort. I don't really care. And meet up <laughs> in the city over do that. Like, do not, do not date anybody from your part, from your church. Don't do it. It, it. it doesn't make any sense. I don't care how well you get along. I don't care how great you think each other are together. It does not matter to me. Don't do that. Because you can't, uh, it is unhealthy and unethical to uh, have your, your need for emotional and physical connection be satisfied by people that you have power over. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter if they don't see it that way or you get off on power dynamics or it, it, none of that matters. It, it's irrelevant. Go meet some guy in a bar two towns over. Do that then. <laughs> that's yeah. that's way more ethical. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, we because because we were both in committed relationships when we started the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we never talked about pastors and dating. Uh, and I don't necessarily... It, the, I, that's a whole can of worms I don't really want to get into, but I think there's, we, it's both the, like, the pain in the ass version of it, which is that, like, you have to go outside of the bounds of your place of work and your community in order to find a romantic partner, and, like, yeah, that does suck, that's a, especially in, like, a rural place, like, yeah, absolutely, impossible, basically, um, but the other part of it is that, like, like as we've talked about on the show, like, being a pastor means that you have a certain level of, like, power and responsibility. And and there's no way that you can be somebody's pastor and also be in the type of relationship that it would take to – the type of vulnerable relationship that you would need to have in order to be a good romantic partner um, and a good sexual partner to another person. Like there's always, uh, well, I guess if somebody was an atheist and was just like, or just not religious at all and was like, I don't really care at all. Like I don't, I I don't give this position any power, but we also talk like culturally that like this position just kind of carries level of power and you cannot be in that position of power over somebody. And then like, like a light switch, turn that off for a relationship. Like even after you leave a church, there's some level of, you were still their pastor and it's, it is too tricky to try to figure out. Like, it's just not a healthy thing, but yet you have to pay attention to that because it's, it's easy, especially if you are, if you are in need, if you're in need of that emotional and physical intimacy. And uh, here is a person in your congregation who is happy to kind of help meet that need. Even if you're both consenting adults, the power dynamics are really tricky. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. 
and it's the same in anything where there's an unequal power balance. Like, that's why, like, professors don't date their students, etc. Even though they do a lot. Ugh. I wish they did I don't like it. it. It still jars me, you know, whenever I hear about it. I, I don't think that's happening in the department at UVA. But I'm sure it's happening in the econ department at UVA. Because <laughs> they're all they're all a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of unethical, crazy people. Um, but but no, like I, I every time I think I just makes me really uncomfortable. And like and I get it, like I feel for all of our, you know, uh single and interested in dating people who are pastors you know i i feel i feel for them because it is complicated to navigate and you know what do you do like well you you have to do a whole lot of extra work yeah to uh to do these things you know i get it i get it i would not like it at all like i don't know how indiana jones didn't didn't like succumb all the time he was super hot harrison ford you know what i mean and that was the running joke of every movie right he'd be lecturing on archaeology which i also don't know how you do how do you lecture on archaeology but you know (laughs) digging techniques um but like and and then you know all the girls were were in the front row trying to see who would you know he would sleep with uh if you can't tell i love indiana jones (laughs) 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 it's like what a, what a time! What a go back and watch those movies, listeners. There there are moments in those films that are jarring, like now yeah, in, in twenty twenty one. In in the Last Crusade, Indiana Jones and the German uh, uh, woman in the movie who ends up becoming evil, right, are uh, underneath a church looking for the next clue to find the the Holy Grail, and there's like this like. It's like a little sewer and there's all these rats everywhere and, and they see it. And, and Harrison Ford does not say anything. Nobody says anything. Harrison Ford picks her up, throws her over her, his shoulder, smacks her ass and walks through like, like the, like the, the, the rats and stuff. So like she doesn't have to touch the rats, and I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> like, like how is that the direction? All right. I thought that she like hated rats the way that he hates snakes. Did I miss that? Or then that, does that, Sean Connery hate rats? Sean Connery hates rats. That's what it is. <laughs> God, it's been a long time since a, I have seen these. Long time. Oh man, I this week I was talking to uh, to my boss, now my only job right now, about. Um, sexism and sexism in the tech industry and um my boss wanted to support a a woman in the tech industry that she had come into contact with recently um and and was just kind of talking about like how to navigate this situation and like because like i a guy in the room had like made a comment about her appearance and then also like dismissed her intelligence and you know the typical things that happen um and talking about just how like it's a crapshoot either way like you can be frumpy and you will be called names you can be attractive and you will be called names you can be smart and competent and you will be called names you can be less competent and you will be called names like the only way to get through the minefield without having somebody call you a name is to be like completely unnoticeable and even then you have the experience of being completely unnoticeable (laughs) like there's there just 
just all of these moments where it's like, how is this still what we're dealing with in the year of our Lord 2021? But it is like, it is just, it's like a bad movie uh, in so many ways, um, which is you were talking about wearing your collar all the time and how you can now just wear jeans because you're wearing a collar. And like one of the times that I wore a collar in public uh, and was on a Facebook live feed with somebody watching it was like, is that a priest costume? Um, yeah, a priest costume that this and then insulting word for me is wearing. Uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah, definitely a priest costume. That's what I got my degree in making costumes. So it's just like, and that's, that was a rural area plus, uh, being on the opposite side of an issue and a hot button issue from somebody who then just decided to ramp up the sexism. So that was great. Um, yeah, Ugh. we have we have traveled far and wide <laughs> in this conversation about our weeks. You were also talking about the mechanic and uh, having to like wait for three hours, and it's like, well, what else am I gonna do? And that's how I feel every time I walk into a mechanic's place. And like, regardless of the wait time, like I just know that there's going to be one person at the mechanic shop who is going to like give me a look up and down, and they're going to either very patiently explain what's going on with my tire, or they're going to just like blow me off and assume that I don't know anything about it and try to overcharge me for sixty thousand things. So it's like, like that again, year of our Lord, twenty twenty one, and it's still I don't even want to walk into a mechanic shop sometimes. That was great. I also finished reading Cujo, the Stephen King book. I saw. I saw you tweeted about it. Tweeted about it. I have never so quickly wanted to write a feature film that was just like I like in my brain at the end of the at the end of the book, I was like, I know exactly how to do this and like exactly how to fix the casual sexism and everything in this book. Because <laughs> like Stephen King bless his heart just does not know how to write a woman. Oh um, yeah, yeah. It's bad. It's bad. But I think it has a lot of potential. There was also like a terrible TV, not TV, but like a movie adaptation of it. Um, that'd be fascinating to see how it happens. But like, I'm listening to, I listened to the audiobook of it and I was like, how, how is like, one of the main plot points is that like, a woman has an extramarital affair and she like, like the rabid dog. Cause like Cujo is a rabid dog. The rabid dog is like running into her car, like trying to get at her and her like three-year-old son in the back of the car. And she thinks, is this punishment for having an affair? And I'm like, what is this? It's true though. That's what happens. Supernaturally, <laughs> yeah. Supernatural evil happens. And when women, uh, 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 do anything with their bodies. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, and again, there's no winning any, in any case. Yeah, uh, it's just bananas. So, uh, sorry, that just kind of tied into the the general theme of sexism and emotional intelligence. Because let me tell you, nobody in a Stephen King novel is emotionally intelligent. <laughs> no, that's that's where the horror comes in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Uh, speaking of horror and sexism. You know this uh, What Killed Mars Hill podcast? I have not listened to any of it. You do not want to listen to any of it. You would Perfect. not like it at all. Um, you would not find it interesting. Um, well, you might find it interesting, but you would certainly not find it something that you could listen to casually. Um, right. I have, uh, whenever I listen to it, I have fantasies of like running over Mark Driscoll with my car. <laughs> 
Right. I think you said that in one episode previously, and I maybe edited it out. But at this point, I can say it. (laughs) That's fair. But this episode, like like the quick and dirty version right now, is this the episode that just dropped today is like complete bananas. It's about Mark Driscoll thinking he's an exorcist. Oh no. Uh, which I didn't know was a thing that happened at, at Mars Hill, but like, you know, and, and like, like here, uh, just like Mark Driscoll is a grifter. Like, like the whole thing, the whole thing is, is just like pure charlatanism all the way through. Um, But he's either, but he's, but he's either incredibly stupid or like understood that the grift was too important and therefore has no shame because like, before Marsil all sort of fell apart, like he he publicly circulates all of his stuff. Like you can listen to every sermon he's ever done, or wow. um, you can listen to every like uh, super secret meeting that he has with like the men of Marsil, or um, and and his class on spiritual warfare and how to be an exorcist. You know, like you can listen to those. And uh, and and so like we're listening to these clips of it on the show, and I'm like, what is the fuck is wrong with this psycho? Like, this guy's this guy's brain is mush, but um, just just total grift. And one of the things there's this clip. This is what comes to mind. The whole episode's crazy, but there's this clip where Mark Driscoll is talking to this pretty big group of people that is taking his class on spiritual warfare and exorcism. And he's like, uh, I think it's pretty clear that demons affect women far more than they affect men. Why? I think it's, uh, I, I think, you know, uh, that's definitely the case in my ministry. I own almost exclusively deal with exercising women. Um, uh, yeah, I know. And then he's like, uh, I don't really know why that's the case. Uh, well, maybe I do. Maybe I do. St. Paul does call women the weaker vessel. Um, does he? <laughs> well, it's interesting because I'll get to it. I'll, there, it connects, okay. actually. It connects. Um, it's actually in it's actually in First Peter that 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 that. Oh, perfect. But, okay, but but it's in a it's in an interesting context, and it actually has a history of interpretation that I find um, not like terribly compelling, but I find way more nuanced than what Mark Driscoll just said. But yeah, like, not to like jump to the defense of Paul, the epistle writer. <laughs> right, right, right. And he's like, and, and then like Driscoll like keeps going. He's like, he first claims he doesn't know why that's the case. And then he gives like three reasons why he thinks that's the case. He's like, he's like, St. Paul calls him the weaker vessel. On the whole, women uh, are far more likely to sin than men. And, uh, and if we consult, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, Genesis, the book of Genesis, we see that Satan doesn't even really start to talk to Adam until he gets married. What? Like, what the fuck is the matter with this this giant <sighs> fool? And so, like, and then you hear, like, he you do more clips of him, and he uh, the the podcast host interviews a woman who, um, Mark, you know, supposedly exercised and. She just talks about how manipulative the whole thing is and how how fucked up it is and mm. and uh, and different things and and like one of the things the other things that Mark does is like Mark claims to see visions and so he claims to see visions of of people's sin you know play out before him where he believes Ugh. the devil 
the devil and the demons get a foothold in their lives. And, and he's Mark's talking about, and there's, there's real clips and, you know, in the podcast, those is like, this gets a little disturbing. So, you know, if you need to skip it, please skip it. But like Mark Driscoll talks about how, um, and he's telling stories in this, in that you can find, it's the dumb thing about this in this uh, exorcism class where he's like, yeah. And then, and then it played out before me, like a movie in my head. Um, everything this woman did when she cheated on her husband and, and, uh. and she starts and he's, and the story is he starts telling the woman this and he's like, I think I know where the devil, you know, got a foothold in your life. You cheated on your husband, you know, 10 years ago. You remember he was six foot two blonde haired. You took him up to the hotel room. You got naked. You laid on the bed and he starts describing the event. I'm like, what in God's fucking name <laughs> was wow. going on? And and the podcast host, to his credit, like I think this podcast host is not great. Like that's the <laughs> other thing that frustrates me about this. This is a Christianity Today podcast. Right. And so they have a vested interest in not making the Mars Hill story a story about all of evangelical Christianity. Right. It's just this one bad yeah, apple yeah. in the bunch, in the barrel. Right, right. And so there are moments where they are too generous, I mm-hmm. think. Like part of part of the theme of the podcast is God can God did there are people at Mars Hill that still claim that God did really great things in their lives while while they were there. Sure. And and I think that is worth one episode. Mm. That's what I think. Hmm. I think that theme is worth one episode where we talk about the mystery of God's providence, right? There right. are people who really came to know Jesus in an authentic way at Mars Hill, who, who left disgusted with what happened at Mars Hill, but who nevertheless were baptized and have gone on to have really meaningful discipled lives. Okay. That's a good episode. But that's like the theme of every episode. Like like it always it always sort of ends that way in each episode. And so like this woman who who experienced who was being interviewed about the exorcism that Mark supposedly did over her. Like, she was disgusted by it. She thought it was manipulative. She thought Mark was a charlatan. She thought it was all really bad. But in the midst of it, Mark claimed, they played this clip back to back where Mark was like, never address the demon by name. You don't want to see a demon fully take control over a human being. Instead, you you allow the gift of the spirit to discern their sin for you so that the sin plays over in your mind. Apparently like watching a Pornhub video, but whatever. Um, and, and, uh, and, but you never call the demon by name and allow it to gain control of them. That would be bad. They play that clip. And then the next thing is you hear is this woman who's being interviewed saying, Mark then asked me what, what I, what I thought the demon's name was. I told him a fake name and then Mark started talking to that demon. I'm like, yeah, he's a fucking charlatan. He's, he's, he's a fucking grifter. He's making shit up. And she said she made shit up. But like this woman was like, yeah, so I pretended to be a demon. Like I pretended to be possessed, basically, because I wanted Mark was pressuring me into this whole weird thing. And she said that this is a part of her story. So like it's okay to include it. But she said that she really felt that despite how 
awful and skeezy and manipulative and arrogant and bad it was. There was a moment in it where she really felt uh, liberated because where this came from was her belief that she was not loved enough by God. Mm. And Mark claimed it was a demon. And so Mark's exercising her and making her lie and do all this crazy stuff. But she said, uh, in the midst, when I was pretending to be the demon, I said, as the demon, something like, you know, uh, she doesn't belong to us anymore, something like that. And and he, and she was like, and I, I don't know, but like, it was like positive. It was like this weird moment where me just, even in pretending, me saying that really made me feel liberated. It made me feel like I belong to Jesus. And, mm. and like, and like the, the Christianity Today people are like, what a mysterious moment. And I'm like, yeah, fine. But like, just because even this woman claims that something good came out of that does not get this entire tradition of Christianity off the hook. Right. You know, and, and a lot of the Mars Hills episode, a lot of the podcast episodes are like that. Like Ugh. really, really bad stuff that they're that they're bringing to light that they're not trying to hide, but they do sort of undercut. It, and and it reads to me like they undercut for their own benefit. Like they get yeah. really close to realizing, oh, this whole thing is bankrupt, and then they have to like throw it in. But there are mm -hmm. all these people that had really great experiences. Yeah, relax, relax. Yeah, I, so I have a lot of thoughts coming out of this. Um, I, so there's a podcast called You're Wrong About. Uh, they do an episode on exorcism. Like their whole thing, I th I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it before, um, is that they take like pop culture events that we misremember. Like they're doing a whole big series on the O.J. Simpson trial <laughs> about um, like how we, how we misremember things and then how that like shapes an idea that we carry with us. But like this is what the actual events were and whether or not it supports the, the idea or whatever. Uh, and one of the, the hosts is doing a book about the satanic panic. And so they do an episode on exorcism and like the phenomenon of the uptick of exorcism after the movie The Exorcist comes out. And the funny thing about exorcism is like whether or not there are demons involved, like many of the people who were exorcised were women and they genuinely felt better after the exorcism. And there is something to this phenomenon of um, of like almost being able to take the the parts within you that you have been told are terrible and worthless and like take all of those that like that nexus of thoughts and then like banish it from you you know like i mm -hmm. think there is genuinely something really powerful like i think that story reflects that um and like yes there's there's spiritual manipulation involved in this and we should never do that but but also it's doing the work that like Honestly, like sometimes EMDR does for people, like just coming at it different from from a different angle. This is not to say that everybody should go get exercise instead of seeking therapy. Like, sure, go go do something that's a, a little more proven. But like, there is fruit that comes out of that. It was weird bananas fruit, but it's there. Um, <laughs> bananas are fruit too. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> and delicious. Yeah. So like on on one level. 
there's like there's this weird truth to the phenomenon of exorcism and and the fruit that it bears um it's it's not great because it's part of the satanic panic and the satanic panic is bullshit but um like the other piece of this that like um that there are people who uh, uh like positive things came out of their time at mars hill like that i've been because uh, we as we recorded the haunting of hill house episode and then we did our disclaimer at the beginning of it i've really been kind of like rolling over in my mind how we i don't know interact with people who may have done terrible things but who also like brought about good in our own lives like uh, plenty of people have had uh, really important pastors or pastoral figures in their lives that turned out to be giant pieces of shit but also like were an important part of and still in some ways are an important part of like who they are as pastors or who they are as people mm-hmm. or who they are as christians and like even people who are doing terrible abusive things in one aspect of their lives are able to do good things in other aspects of their lives like that's like humans are complicated in that way and and i don't know what to do with that like like so so often jesus tells us that like you will know people by their fruits and like i there are some people produce really terrible fruits but like people are trees that produce all sorts of different types of fruit and that throughout our lives um and and churches are full of people who then produce these all these different types of fruit. So, man, like I, I the really like it comes down to the fact that like we are all complicated people, all in need of redemption, and all capable of being redeemed, uh, and that we all need to do that work. But I, yeah, like yeah, I I just want the excuse to be mad at people and to write people out forever and uh, never have to think about them again. And that's not necessarily the case all the time. Sure. Uh, Mark Driscoll is a terrible person and we don't need to, there doesn't need to be a redemption arc for him. Also Joshua Harris, uh, who has gone through his own thing, but man, we didn't even talk about like the Twitter debate that happened around Joshua Harris. <laughs> trying yeah, to that, that's okay. Well, they had their own episode dedicated to Joshua Harris. Oh, did they? On the Mars Hill podcast. Cause there's the Mars Hill connection there. Really, with yeah. the Mars Hill, the really with the Mars Hill podcast is is demonstrating for me is how deep the rot goes, right. um, which is why the podcast is sort of a. It's why Christianity Today, I think, I think is trying to soften different things about the podcast. Like, there's this moment that they mention offhand early in the podcast where Mark Driscoll. What's the first moment where Mark Driscoll is in the spotlight? And the answer is Mark Driscoll is in Blue Like Jazz, which I oh, didn't. Wow. Which I didn't know. I didn't either. Mark is Mark Driscoll is Mark the cussing pastor in Blue Like Jazz. And 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 I'm like and I and and they they mention it and they move on and I'm like guys the rot goes so deep, don't you get it? Donald Miller is supposed to be this postmodern evangelical. Right. Who turns, who, who actually just loves Mark Driscoll. Who has not, who has not denied his love for Mark Driscoll even now. 
And now Donald Miller doesn't even write Christian stuff anymore. He 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 works for Fortune 500 companies to talk about leadership. Oh, I like, believe that. <laughs> like he is. That's all of his books are now. Is is he does he does these big multi-million dollar leadership summits for Fortune 500 companies. I I'm like, guys, you know, like like that should be the story. The story is is that all of these people are in cahoots together. <laughs> You know, and or they just lost in the same way. Yeah, yeah right, right. Oh. I, I, Blue Like Jazz is one of those books that I definitely read and liked, even as a evangelical adjacent basic atheist kid. You know, like yeah, it was really formative for me in college. Right, but, <laughs> but I use like, it as yeah. an example in my dissertation because he has such a great example. Like he talks about going to the Grand Canyon and seeing the stars, and it's just like a. A, a very clear, easy to access example of how awe uh, gets combined with religious feelings. Yeah. Right. And I, it was just, it's just cause I knew it. Cause I knew the book. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. He was like, he's like, where, where does, where does Mark Driscoll, uh, where did, how does Mark Driscoll's career? It's not how his Dallas's career gets started. That's even, that's even stranger. Um, but because there's all kinds of lies <laughs> associated sure. with that too. But like, where does he first appear in print? blue like jazz and i was i was floored i i was yeah. like like for a moment i was like oh my god like it's it's all a con we've been <laughs> conned all the way down you know like uh this might as well be a podcast about rob bell's mars hill you know and somebody could be like remember rob bell and francis chan they all get together on the weekends and you know <laughs> smoke cigars and and plan the whole thing like <laughs> I'd be like, of course they do. Of course they do. Why? Because it's all kayfabe, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> all the way down. <laughs> it's kayfabe all the way down. It's a work all the way down. I So it may be. Uh, and I I don't know. That's something that for Jesus to answer. But if it's not, if it's not a manipulation all the way down, uh, these people all fell, fell victim to the same power and the same seductions and the same temptation you know mm. it's, i i don't know why women need to be exercised more maybe because you don't see the demons that are swirling around the powerful men in your life you just refuse to look at them because they're yours too right no i think it's because saint paul calls him the weaker vessel joe i just think it's how it is also it bitches is be crazy am i right okay <laughs> they they interviewed here here's my last thing about this then we'll talk about i don't know something else but like which because we need to end the episode but like here's a like in the episode he he counters this interview the ct people counter the interview with um uh like a scholar of pentecostalism and 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 you know the charismatic traditions who is himself a practitioner Mm -hmm. and uh he's at like wheaton or something and um you know he he's this guy is he, he's basically like listen uh, everything that mark driscoll is saying is 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 totally um you know it's not even what the tradition of pentecostal charismatic folks would say is accurate anyway you know mm -hmm. like like mark mark is uh you know out there for us like 
and they asked him, it's like, well, Mark Driscoll talks about women being more susceptible to demons. And he's like, this is absurd. Like the, the stuff that, and that's what this guy says. He's like, he's like, Hey, I want to be really honest with you. Like I'm a conservative dude. Like I'm a complementarian. All of that is true there. It is anti, he's like, it is anti-biblical to say that women are more susceptible to demons. It is dumb. It is stupid. The passages Mark Driscoll is citing are, are horribly misunderstood his his interpretation of the uh, weak and weaker vessel passage is actually he actually argues that it's a it's a piece of socioeconomic critique hmm. that the author okay. of Peter is is suggesting that that men must care for their wives uh, and with knowledge he's like the scripture says that men, that men must care for their wives with knowledge and he's like meaning that we must know our wives. We must know them as image bearers of God and know them, you know, well as human beings because women are the weaker vessel, which he's like, which I would, which I would believe is a piece of socioeconomic critique, meaning that women are more vulnerable to the powers of, uh, 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 of oppression in society, which is why Christian men need to be a particular kind of man. Um, uh, hmm. Men that know their wives as human beings and who care for them with a full knowledge that they are more vulnerable in our society in these ways. And he's like, not because they're evil. <laughs> right. You know? And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. At least that's, at least that's a better idea than women are the weaker vessel. That's why the devil can get inside their vaginas. You know, <laughs> like, like that's right. better than that. And then sometimes the Holy Spirit plays pornographic images in my head, you know, that, that tells me about what these women are doing with these apparently six foot two blonde Adonises. Man. Man, 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 man. What a... <laughs> wow, wow, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's a, every time I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe today's the day. Maybe I am ready to like step back into Christianity and like really like try on my faith again and, and just really, really see this thing through. And then something like this happens and I'm like, uh, you know, maybe it's like, it's the equivalent of like wanting to go on a walk and be like, hmm, seems like it's still drizzling outside. Maybe it'll rain forever. And like, I just go back inside <laughs> like, it is not what I want. Oh, people. I, I just oh, think people. of, I just think of the guy from the, um, uh, movie pitch meeting YouTube videos. Yes, where, where he's like wow, wow, wow. Oh man, he's good. That's a good one. Mmm. <laughs> okay, that doesn't make sense, but okay. <laughs> Barely an inconvenience. <laughs> oh man. no, it's gonna not even be a problem. Barely an inconvenience. Oh my. All right, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna sign us off, and then we'll do good. something. Friends, thanks for listening. This has been an ep- a, a, a long and squirrely episode of What the Hell is a Pastor? We are Ethan and Joe, and we will see you next time. What the Hell is a Pastor? is a part of the Disruptive Disciples podcast network. Our theme song is written by Joe Schomwolf, performed by Joe Schomwolf, Ian Oriola, and Paul Oriola, and produced by Paul Oriola. Email us at wtheckisapastor at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash disruptive disciples. On Twitter at wthisapastor. And on Patreon at patreon.com slash wthiap. 
where you can get access to Pillow Talk, signed cards, episode suggestions, and so much more. Thanks for listening, and remember friends, check your own demons before exercising others.